Hello, podcast listeners. Hope you're enjoying your day and staying cool with this crazy heat wave that's been happening across, at least here in California, and I'm sure parts of the United States. We know that the heat wave has been hitting parts of London and Europe, so hope everyone's staying cool and being able to not melt to death in this current weather situation. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about Nightscope a little bit more. Nightscope had a huge announcement that they gave last week, and it wasn't really talked about much in Wall Street. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Nightscope. Starbucks, there's some news happening with Starbucks as well. And we'll be able to get into a little bit into that detail as well about what's happening with Starbucks. Finally, we're going to be talking about Bed Bath & Beyond and what's going on with Bed Bath & Beyond. And there's some it's it's some breaking news that's currently happening and obviously the reports will probably change by the time that this podcast is done being reported but we do need to talk about it because that's to do with the cfo and some allegations that are also thrown his way with that being said before we get into this podcast i have to remind you all that i am not a professional advisor in any way shape or form everything i talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only i do have to mention right now that i do have small positions in both starbucks and nightscope they are long-term positions and I'm not giving financial advice in any way, shape, or form in this podcast. This podcast is for information purposes only and for entertainment purposes for those who wish to listen. With that being said, let's report on the news that we need to cover for today. First off, from Business Wire from Mountain View, California, Nightscope, a developer of advanced physical security technologies focused on enhancing U.S. security operations, launched its automatic criminal detection capability. Uh, capability, the ACDC feature, a real-time extensive criminal data intelligence solution available immediately to the new and existing clients that subscribe to the commercially available K1 Tower and the future K1 Hemisphere, due to be released during Q4 2022. ACDC utilized the facial recognition, recognition technology on K1 ASRs, an illegal open source database of over 75 million criminal law enforcement files to detect and alert users to a person previously convicted of a crime or possible threats on their property. Intelligence gathering through ACDC will help public safety officials better prepare for today's threats by delivering real-time hyper-local information for improved situational awareness. Clients will be able to rapidly assemble this data during incident investigations through the included Nightscope Security Operations Centers, the KSOC, user interface, or by engaging the Nightscope Plus monitoring professionals should they elect such coverage. According to Statistica, over the last three decades, arrests made a range from 7 million to over 14 million annually. A high number of arrests does not necessarily correlate to a high number of solved cases, and in the U.S., many cases remained unsolved. The crime clearance rate, or rate of closed cases, was less than 50% for a violent crime in the U.S. and less than 20% for property crime. Additionally, a study for healthypeople.gov finds that while 7 million people are released from jail and 600,000 are released from prison in each U.S., in the U.S. each year, uh, revictimism is common. <clears throat> the study finds that two out of three people are rearrested, and more than 50% are arrested, incarcerated within three years of the release. Nightscope is continuing evaluating ways in which they can deter, detect, and report potential criminal activity. Said William Santana Lee, Chairman and CEO of Nightscope. Imagine if we we're able to assist one port in identifying a no terrorist, or help warn of officials a sexual predator, or your child's school campus. This is truly a game changer and protecting the places we live, work, study, and visit. And then he goes on to say, we need to provide over the nation's 2 million plus law enforcement with security professionals, actual tools for them to be able to do their jobs effectively. This is exciting news, okay? 
It is. I mentioned earlier in past podcasts that I honestly believe Nightscope is going to be a huge game changer in the United States. That Their technology is just so far advanced compared to a lot of companies right now. Obviously, Wall Street is obsessed with the next social media company that's coming around or the next big, not besides social media, I guess next EV cars or electric cars in the making or green energy, which is fine. That's what they want to invest in. That's what they want to invest in. But Nightscope right now, I mean, everything seems to be pointing in the right direction. I mean, being able to use the ACDC's database, that's kind of a big deal, especially for the K1 tower and the K1 hemisphere, I believe that it says that they were going to use it for. And it's going to be released in the next quarter. What's also going to be interesting too is when this release happens, okay, sometime between now and the end of this year, or maybe sometime next year, is when Nightscope hopefully gets approval by the federal government to be able to sell to the federal government. They're in the process right now, but they, they're in the last stages of being able to sell to the federal government. Okay. I can honestly believe if this does, since they're already getting the ACDC in it, I firmly believe now this is already a step closer to Nightscope being able to sell to the federal government. I mean, why wouldn't they at this point? I mean, the federal government can probably put these K1 towers and K1 hemispheres in their federal buildings or just outside the federal building to be able to to use it to help their own security at the federal level. But I mean, it's an open source data with over 75 million criminal law enforcement files. I mean, I can see the federal government using it. So I personally believe within the next few months when Nightscope finally announces that they can sell to the federal government, that stock is going to be going through the roof, hopefully. It's really sad. Nightscope had announced this and ironically, the stock did nothing. It barely moved. In fact, it went down that day. Now, granted, it was a down day. But this is a, this is a very positive sign in the making. Nightscope, in my opinion, is about ready to sell the federal government. And that news is going to break any day now, especially with the just having all that information within the K1 hemisphere and K1 tower. So Nightscope has some very interesting days ahead of it. The technology is so advanced for its time. So if you want to keep out... Uh, an eye out for future technologies, I would highly advise looking at Nightscope. This isn't financial advice. It's just, like I said, I, I honestly believe Nightscope is going to change a lot of our society and people just don't realize it just yet. Hence why I'm currently invested in it, but it's a long-term position and this is not financial advice. It's just an opinion currently right now. On to the next article. We're going to be talking about Starbucks now. Starbucks names Lamex Narashi. Sorry if I say his name wrong. Lamex Narashim. Narashi Mahan as new CEO starting in April. Okay. Starbucks on Thursday named Lamax uh, Narashiman as the new chief executive officer. Narashiman most recently served as the CEO of health and hygiene company uh, Reckit, which owns brands such as Lysol, Durex, and Mucinex. He announced earlier Tuesday he was stepping down from the role. He'll join Starbucks in October, learning about the company and its reinvention plan before assuming the jo- job in April. Until then, Howard Schultz will continue as interim CEO of the coffee chain. He grew into a global giant. Schultz will remain on Starbucks' board of uh, Narasingham succeeds him. Schultz has been in the helm since April when he handpicked successor Kevin Johnson retired. After five years on the job, Schultz returned to the company as an intern CEO, earning just $1 for his salary. In the meantime, Schultz and Starbucks' board hunted for a long-term successor with the intentions of announcing the new CEO in the fall. The coffee chain brought back the pumpkin spice latte and other fall menus items on Tuesday. 
Schultz had previously said he wants to reinvent the employee customer and store experience to reckon with how the world has changed since the pandemic. The company is holding an investor's day on September 13th in Seattle, where it's expected to unveil more details about the bold changes it plans to make. Starbucks said in a news release that Schultz will remain closely involved with the Plan Act as an advisor to Nayraciam. Nayraciam previously worked at PepsiCo, serving as the global chief commercial officer, among other roles. Prior to working at food and beverage giant, he was senior partner at McKinsey. It's going to be interesting to see how this new CEO does things. Now, granted, the CEO of Target the current one, he used to work for PepsiCo. And I think PepsiCo is, they, they, they produce some good CEOs in the making. I mean, it's PepsiCo. You, you have to compete with the likes of Coca-Cola. You got to be somewhat successful if you are a former PepsiCo CEO. But it's going to be interesting to see how Starbucks is able to grow from here. Okay. Starbucks is in a lot of pressure right now. Okay. The stock isn't doing so well in China. I guess the stock isn't doing well overall because China levels has this China has the no COVID policy in the making. And at the same time, it seems like a lot of. Uh, what, what, what would we say? A lot of a lot of things have changed since the pandemic. A lot of the stores are also unionizing, too. And this is going to be part of the thing that Schultz is going to teach the new CEO in the making, because it says here. And this was published on Friday towards the end of the market day. It says New York sues Starbucks for coffee chains firing of union organizer. Okay. It says New York sue New York city is suing Starbucks over allegations that the company wrongfully terminated a Bartista and union organizer. The city's department of consumers and worker protection said the case marks its first lawsuit for a violation of New York city's just cause protections for fast food workers. Austin Lockie, a longtime Bartista and union organizer was fired less than a month after he and his coworkers voted to unionize a Starbucks in Queens According to the lawsuit, the store is one of dozens of Starbucks locations that have voted to unionize. Starbucks has said that the Lockheed was fired for failing to fill out COVID-19 questionnaire and falsely reporting that a supervisor made physical contact with him. According to the lawsuit, the missteps were reportedly confirmed by surveillance footage, but the suit states that Lockheed's district and store manager did not let him see the footage. Lockheed's shifts were canceled and he filed a complaint to the city days later. Quote, we do not... Comment on pending litigations, a Starbucks representative wrote to CNBC. However, we do intend to defend against the alleged violation, violations and New York City just cause law. Under the city's fair work week law, it is illegal to work fi fireworks. Uh, correction, it is illegal to fire workers who have completed a 30-day probation or reduced their hours by more than 50% without just cause or economic justification. The city is suing to get Lockheed reinstated and to win him re... re um, resituated and back pay, which the city says will continue to occur until Lockheed returns to his job. Quote, it's been a year since the campaign with Starbucks Workers United began at a Starbucks in Buffalo, New York, said Austin Lockheed. In a statement released by the city, there are now 335 unionized Starbucks around the country. Starbucks continues to wrongfully fire uh, pro-union workers nationwide in retaliation for union organization or correction, union organizing. Starbucks has set a way of store unionized across the country and organizers have brought claims of retaliation by the company. Howard Schultz returned to the company as intern CEO amid the labor push. And he said that he wants to reinvent the employer customer and store experience to better reflect how the world has changed since the pandemic. The company named a new CEO on Thursday. Starbucks is going to be in hot water for a bit. They will be. I mean, this, this is just the part of the change of what happens when companies switch CEOs and last time it didn't go so well for Starbucks overall. I mean, the CEO did change some things, but 
I mean, I still think when you think of Starbucks, you're still going to think of Howard Schultz. And it wouldn't surprise me if Howard Schultz eventually comes back into the company as well. But hopefully the new CEO is able to handle this flame that's coming. I mean, he is a former PepsiCo guy, so he's got to know what he's doing a little bit. On to the next article, Bed Bath & Beyond CFO Gustavo Arnold fell to his death in Manhattan. Now, this is kind of big news. This was kind of reported on Friday, but they finally confirmed who the person was who jumped off the building in New York. It says Bed Bath Beyond on Sunday confirmed that the chief financial officer, Gustavo Arnold, died over the weekend after police said in earlier that Arnold fell to his death. Investigators, investigators believe Arnold's fall was intentional, but he left no note behind and did not say anything to his wife, who was at home at the time, sources told WMBC. The entire Bed Bath & Beyond organization is profoundly saddened by the shocking loss, the company said in a statement. Arnold, 52, fell Friday afternoon from a building in downtown Manhattan, according to police. The iconic skyscraper known as the Jenga Tower, or the Jenga Building, has more than 50 floors of uniquely stacked apartments. Emergency services declared Arnold de uh, deceased on the scene, according to a spokesperson from New York Office of Deputy Commissioners, the Public Information Office for the Police Department. A New York spokesperson tells CNBC that it's up to the Medical Examiner Office to make final determination about the cause of death at the stage. The investigation remains ongoing. In Bed Bath's statement on Sunday, the company noted that Arnold was instrumental in guiding the organization through the coronavirus pandemic. Since joining Bed Bath Beyond in 2010, Arnold made several purchases and sales of company stock. Last month, he sold more than 55,000 shares for $1.23, correction, for $1.23 million, according to a filing, which he said was, correction, which said he still held 255,396 shares at the time. And then it says Bed Bath stock is down 40% year this year, and about 90% from its all-time high. Arnold spent 20 years at Procter Gamble, died after the company announced plans to close 150 stores of its lower-producing name stores. The New Jersey-based retailer also said it would be cutting 20% of its staff and added that it could secure more than $500 million in new financing, including a loan. Okay, The cost-causing measure comes as Bed Bath's core business continues to struggle. The company disclosed continuing slowing sales on Wednesday with same store sales dropping to 26% for the three-month window ending August 27th. Okay, This is the crazy thing. Analysis believe that there will be a turnaround, and they say that in the article. But what's even crazier, they don't even talk about the most important thing that's happening. Okay, this Arnold sold shares in the company. We just read that, 55,000 shares. Okay, And Business Insider... Okay, three hours ago, also reported this as well. And I'm shocked that CNBC is not talking about this. Okay, it says Bed Bath & Beyond CFO who died after falling New York City high rise was subject of insider trading and fraud lawsuit just before death documents show. Okay, why is CNBC not talking about this? This is the crazy thing. They report a lot of things, but CNBC is also not willing to talk about the most important things for investors to make decisions on stock. Okay. From Business Insider, it says Bed Bath & Beyond, Chief Financial Officer, who fell, found dead on Friday. He was he killed himself Friday, okay? After falling off the 18th floor of the New York City apartment building, recently named in the lawsuit accusing him of fraud. The incident occurred less than two weeks after the Executive 52 was named in the federal class action lawsuit on allegations of federal securities fraud, insider trading, and breach of fiduciary duty, according to court documents. His death also comes just days before Bed Bath & Beyond announced it's, shutter, it's shuttering 150 stores and slashing 20% of its corporate staff. Arnold is cited, uh, correction, Arnold is cited in, the, in, the, in the suit along with activist investors and GameStop chairman Ryan Cohen, 
who the lawsuit claims collaborated with the CFO and a fraudulent scheme to artificially inflate the price of Bed Bath Beyond and publicly traded stock. The suit filed on the United States District Court of of Columbia on August 23rd claims that Cohen and Arnold provided material false statements regarding the financial condition and holding situation of Bed Bath Beyond and the financial benefit the lead plaintiff investigated said. The defendants, knowing that the information they disclosed was false, took advantage of the inflated stock price and used fraudulent and misleading SEC filings to sell all their Bed Bath & Beyond shares, which apparently that's not true because it says Arnold still had shares in the company prior to his death. Maybe that's wrong here. But it says options are artificial inflated prices to unsuspecting and innocent public investors and then retain control of the profits and the suit states. It says here on August 18th, both Arnold and Cohen sold shares of the company with Arnold selling more than 42,000 shares. And this is where things get weird is because CNBC is saying 55,000. So who's right between the two is unknown right now. And this is for an estimate for 1 million and Cohen selling the entirety of his 9.8% stake through his firm RC Ventures causing shares to plummet. The lawsuit claims that Cohen, who's the co-founder of Chewy and chairman of GameStop, approached the CFO and his pump and dump scheme in March of 2022 and convinced Gustavo that their plan would mutually beneficial one. Under this arrangement, defendants would profit handsomely from the rise in price and could coordinate their selling of shares to optimize the returns lawsuit states. Arnold Adelaide worked with JP Morgan, which is listed as a defendant in the suit of claims the bank aided and embedded the plan by embedding Cohen to use JP Morgan accounts to effectively such transaction otherwise laundered the, the proceeds of criminal conduct. This is ridiculous, okay? They need to make sure that Cohen gets to court because Arnold's gone. He's he's He pretty much committed suicide, which means that doesn't look good overall, which means he most likely committed a crime. And I'm just shocked overall that CNBC is not reporting that at all. CNBC, you need to report the news. You need to mention stuff like that in articles because investors have to make a decision whether or not they're going to invest in the company. I personally am not would not touch Bed Bath & Beyond. I would stay away from that because this is going to get really, really messing. Okay. And if Cohen disappears, that makes things even worse, potentially. But it's weird. You don't, if, if you were innocent, you, at least in my opinion, he, the guy wouldn't have committed suicide at that point. He probably wasn't. He probably did do a pump and dump scheme and a lot of investors got screwed over. Cohen better be, they better be keeping a sharp eye on Cohen. They really should be. Hopefully there is some justice in the making because it's sickening. It really is. I mean, it's sad that he, that Arnold died jumping off his building, but he's most likely guilty. We we can't make complete accusations here on this podcast, but we can we can suspect that because he what he he jumped off his building pretty much. It seems like that. And obviously there'll be more reports coming out later about it and, and we'll try our best to talk about it, but it seems like he was guilty. And I feel sorry for anyone who's invested in Bed Bath and Beyond currently right now. So, but yeah, there's going to be a potential lawsuit. And Cohen's probably going to end up in prison if, if he if he's found guilty. So, last article we'll read and has to do with oil. And probably next podcast we'll talk a little bit more in details. I wanted to talk about a lot of oil today, but when this article came out about the Bed Bath and Beyond CFO, we had to talk about it. But it says here, Iraqi's extraordinary toxic turmoil is a considerable risk for the oil markets. This was reported Wednesday, and obviously a lot of things have changed since Wednesday, but we still need to talk about it. Okay. Says Iraq's political turmoil 
could pose a significant rise in global market oils, analysis told CNBC. While Iraqi production is usually fairly resilient to unrest, the current political environment is extraordinarily toxic and poses a considerable risk to the oil sector, said Fernando uh, Feria, a director of Rappian Energy Group. Those concerns come in the heels of an escalated protest in Iraq on Tuesday and powerful Shiite Muslims, clerky uh, Mut. Muqtada al-Sadar announced his resignation from politics. Recurring risk. While the risk of disrupted oil supplies have subsided after Sadar called for a calm uh, caution, the power of struggle between Shia factions and the country is far from resolved. And the civil unrest in Iraq will remain a recurring risk to oil markets. Quote, prices could rally 5 to $10 on Iraqi disruption, possibly more as low liquefaction is driving bigger swings than usual, he projected. In a global oil market already strained by low oil inventories and key OPEC members failing to meet quota commitments, slips in Iraqi oil production could be significant, said Timothy France, a senior oil market analysis at Refinitiv. Even part, partial declines in Iraqi oil outputs and exports have uh, may have a significant upward impact on crude benchmark prices in Asia and Europe, France said. According to OPEC, Global demand for oil is estimated to average 100.8 million barrels per day in 2022. Iraqi produces 4.5 thousand barrels of oil per day. And currently exports volumes represent approximately 3.5% of global demand, according to the data from Refinitiv. The unrest we've seen in recent days have been mostly con- uh, concentrated in Baghdad and South Iraq, which exports 3.3 million to 3.4 million barrels of oil per day, a little over 3% of the global market. Uh, India and China, physical supplies of Chinese and Indian markets will acutely affect the decline of Iraqi crude oil prices, France told CNBC in an email. Yeah, because it's the last thing we're going to talk about because we've, we've, we've talked about this so many times. We can obviously talk about this a lot faster. China and India are, are top importers of Iraqi crude oil, receiving an estimated 790,000 barrels per day and 817,000 barrels per day in August, said France. Okay, here's the thing. There's no disruptions currently right now, Okay. I mean, it says here, even that they say in the article that there's no disruptions. It says, despite the cautionary figures, both analysis said that there are no major disruptions in the Iraqi oil output as yet. Iraqi crude oil exports have averaged 3.53 million barrels per day. Weekly data export shows no sign of a slowdown, said France. Tankers are currently still loading at Bar- uh, Barish Oil Terminal. Yeah, we've already talked about this. Okay, and it wouldn't surprise me either. We already know China's selling Russian oil to Europe. Okay. And China and India are still buying oil from Russia overall. You know, Saudi Arabia has been buying Russian oil too. And we've talked about this in past podcasts where if I'm Saudi Arabia and I would export all my oil that I was producing and I would just buy cheap Russian oil and just use the cheap Russian oil on my country. And if I had to meet more demand for that day, I could easily ship more Russian oil. Okay. Because I can just buy more Russian oil at $30 or less a barrel right now. China's probably doing the same thing too. There's not as demand in China as much. And so China's probably exporting the excessive Russian oil. Who's to say Iraq's not buying Russian oil right now too? We don't have a lot of reports from Iraq saying they've condemned Russia for their invasion on Ukraine. There isn't. I read an article yesterday saying who was supporting Russia. Obviously, you had India and China on there with Saudi Arabia and then the think Turkmenistan's a couple of the stand countries, I believe it was that were supporting, but there was hardly anything about Iraq. My bet is Iraq probably is supporting Russia and they're probably still buying Russian oil. This analysis, they're not looking at the full details. 
they're not okay i mean like i said it, it would not surprise me at all if iraq were to buy, be buying russian oil just in case if there is the political turmoil that they're talking about that they can just be like oh we can just ship russian oil to make their make our demands if we need to for the day since we can't drill as much so cnbc you need to do a little bit more research when you're doing your articles we're willing to talk about it here on this podcast, but it is something to do think about overall, though. If there was a problem, I mean, Middle East has been pretty quiet. Besides the terrible exit of the United States leaving Afghanistan, the Middle East has been pretty quiet across the board. And that should be a little terrifying for investors. Not, I'm not saying it's the end of the world status, but it is something to think about. There's not a lot of news coming from the Middle East. And that's very unusual. Now, granted, maybe it's because a lot of the efforts are focused on Russia and Ukraine, but still, Middle East is pretty quiet. And usually when there's a lot of turmoil in the Middle East, that's when oil prices go up. Maybe something like this will happen. Maybe the war with Russia and Ukraine will happen for a while, and eventually that war will get settled. Who knows when or how, okay? But at some point, the Middle East will have a little bit of chaos in the making. And when that happens, expect oil prices to keep climbing. And honestly, they probably will. Because there's just, it's too peaceful in the Middle East right now. In the Middle East, just looking at history, they're not usually this peaceful for this long. So keep an eye out for the Middle East, guys, if you want to know what oil's about ready to do. Because if there is some turmoil in the Middle East, there probably will be turmoil in the oil markets going forward. With that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast as every like and subscription we get helps grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street and be able to talk about it because Wall Street's not always talking about all these events that are happening and how it might affect oil markets. Please also share with friends or family as they might enjoy this podcast as well to be able to know what's happening in the markets because like I said, it isn't always talked about at the dinner table with friends or family. It can be sometimes, but for the most part, it's mostly politics that's being talked about. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.